WDET is supported by the College of Business Administration at University of Detroit Mercy. UDM's Master of Business Administration is designed to accommodate the career needs of professionals across a variety of work organizations. More information at business.udmercy.edu. Live from WDET, it's the Metro, connecting Metro Detroiters through stories and conversations about the news, art, and culture affecting the city and our region. I'm Nick Austin. And I'm Tia Graham. Excuse me. Coming up later on the Metro, some Detroit residents are ready to see a new crop of animals roaming, maybe a few ducks or chickens. The city of Detroit is entertaining the idea of allowing small livestock. We'll learn more about it from Bridge Detroit's Jenna Brooker. But first on the Metro, as early Early as today, Detroit City Council could decide whether to approve incentives for part of a $3 billion development project around New Center. The proposed future of health development includes a large expansion for Henry Ford Hospital, as well as mixed income apartments, a medical research center, and a parking deck. To learn more about the project, including how we got to this point and the potential ramifications of the city council's vote, we have J.C. Rindle, a reporter for the Detroit Free Press. J.C., welcome to the Metro. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm glad to have you here because your article in the Free Press was really good for me to get a, a sense of where we're at right now. So before we get into what Detroit City Council is considering with their upcoming vote, what exactly is the Future of Health development proposal? It is a $3 billion project, and there's six uh, main projects within under the, the umbrella of the development uh, one of them, um, the biggest piece, is $2.2 billion, and that is for Henry Ford Health to build a new expansion and a 21-story uh, tower um, across from the, the current hospital. And then the, uh, the other projects are involved 662 apartments, um, a parking deck, and as well as a, a research center, medical research center, involving Henry Ford Health and Michigan State University. All right, and how do we get to this point in the process? Um, it's been going on for almost a year. They unveiled it back in February, their plans for this. Um, there have been a, quite a few community benefits meetings beginning late last fall, and that process is mostly finished now. Okay. Um, and then we had some some uh, some brownfield pre-approvals that happened in last month, and now it's before council. Yeah, so let's get into a couple of these technical aspects, because we have something unique here, Detroit. You mentioned the brownfield, transformational brownfield. Can you explain to listeners exactly what that is and how it deals with this project? Yeah, this is one of the most powerful incentives in Michigan for economic development, and it is a future tax capture of local taxes and, and state taxes over over 30 years. And it involves you get to, you get to capture the the increase in the property taxes, and also if if you were going to be a resident and live in one of these new apartments, fifty um, percent of your fifty to one hundred percent of your state income tax yeah. would go towards the development. You right. also have other. And when we say too. tax capture, we mean that the taxes that would go to the state or whatever entity just go back to the development project. Yeah, the developer gets they get to capture those taxes that you would be paying. Mm-hmm. Um, and for 30 years, they get those, and those goes towards the project and helping it get built. Yeah, so what's city council considering right now? Yeah, they're going to consider the transformational brownfield proposal, um, as well as some zoning changes that are required to build all six of these these projects. Um, and also the community benefits agreement um, that there was a, a volunteer group of citizens uh, gave a pre-approval to that back in December, the NAC, Neighborhood Advisory Council. But council 
Uh, city Council gets the final say on that, and that also is before them today, and debate was going on earlier this morning. Yeah. Well, so before we get into what proponents of the proposal as well as detractors have to say about it, I want to make sure we touch on this community benefits process, right? Because this is something else that can be a little unique to the city of Detroit. The developer is looking to get this tax capture, right? Basically a system of kind of getting tax abatements that go towards the project, a little bit of savings. But with community benefits, they're required to give some things back to the community, correct? So, so how does that involve in this situation and, and what are some of these benefits that they're seeking? Yeah, Detroit is one of the, the very few cities in the country that require that have this community benefits process. If you have a development that's going to involve a lot of abatements and, and public subsidies, you have to go through this process. And it, it involves a lot of discussions between this, this volunteer group of citizens. And it's essentially you know, concessions, even gifts, um, and commitments from a developer. And the one, there's been a couple of, actually quite a few of these projects have, have gone through the, the process. Um, but this latest one, you know, some of the, there's about 52 items on the list in this community benefits package that include anything from, from having bird-friendly glass in the new hospital tower um, to, uh, to $500,000 in rental assistance for existing residents who are going to be near this development, um, $2 million for, towards a home repair fund. Um, there's a, a Fairbanks school. They're going to you know, look into perhaps redeveloping that um, but there is some, also some debate about the, the true value of yep. the package. The developers say it's about $600 million worth of, of benefits. Um, but, but some critics at public meetings say it's far, far less than that, you know, maybe $9 million of like net new money, you know, stuff that um, these developers, particularly Henry Ford, stuff that they would do anyway, yeah. Yeah. some of the so, critics have claimed. So when we're talking about some of these criticisms, right, that comes down to this idea that this new project involved Henry Ford Health uh, they don't really need tax ab- abatements, right, because of the nonprofit nature of it. They're not paying property taxes anyway. So some folks are thinking maybe some things are getting rolled in here. Uh, Henry Ford Health was looking to expand any way they would have done it, and now we have some uh, private capture that's going on here? Or wh- what's some of the criticism that you've heard? Um, yeah, that that's kind of exactly what I've been hearing <laughs> at these public meetings. Because um, the biggest piece of this this development of the $2.2 billion hospital expansion, they're not asking for any incentives because right. they already are a nonprofit. They don't pay property tax. Um, and so most of the incentives in this, it's uh, it's about 240, uh, actually just under $300 million in total incentives. And the majority of that would go towards the apartment complexes that the Pistons are developing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that has been pointed out at public meetings quite a bit. Um, you know, Tom Gores is a very wealthy businessman. Uh, has a private equity firm, and uh, you know some of the some of the complaints of the public meetings are why are we writing a welfare check to a billionaire? Yeah, the theory would be that he'd be able to invest in it and just create that on his own, and then why do tax dollars need to go towards it? As we're speaking with J.C. Rindel, reporter for the Detroit Free Press, so so let's turn this on its head. Then, uh, what are the things that people are saying who are a proponent of it? Why should the city of Detroit, or what are the pitches that people are making that this is a good idea for residents of the city? Yeah, the proponents are emphasizing, you know, the, the benefits to having a brand new state of the art hospital, uh, it's, and the tower is going to be 21 stories. Um, one of the biggest things in in, uh, in New Center, I think, rivaling for height the the, the Fisher Building, and you're going to have a, a new state of the art emergency room there, twice the size of the current one. Um, you know, the the life flight helicopters are no longer going to land behind the hospital, kind of on the ground. They're going to be at the top of this tower, further away from the neighborhood, so they won't have to hear that. You're going to have all 
it's going to it's going to involve a transition of all the the, the current hospital rooms are going to be all private rooms yeah, at Henry Ford Hospital. Couldn't, but couldn't you get all of this without the need for the apartment complex? Why why does that get fit into this? Or why do people say? Because you're telling me a lot about the hospital, which doesn't need any tax breaks, right? So the other portions that are in here, what do people say is the need for uh, the city of Detroit to give those abatements for those items? Yeah, just about any new development these days in Detroit um, requires some sort of public subsidy or incentive, even if it's like a minor tax break. And it is hard to build um, you know, new, new housing in Detroit without that. Mm. And that's because the cost of new construction um, is, is high. And in Detroit, you can only get so much for market rate rents. Yeah, yeah. Um, though in this case, I do want to emphasize that about 20% of the units of the 662 would be set aside at affordable, um, what are considered affordable rents. Yeah. Yeah. So what are the next steps here? What are we looking at? Oh, you know, before I get into that, though, one thing I do want to unpack is that, um, you know, speaking of the Brownsfield uh, part of this, the transformational Brownsfield, that's not something that's been used very often, but we did see it come up in the District Detroit process. Did you notice anything in how District Detroit went about this versus this current uh, project that's happening in terms of the future of health project. What differences have you noticed in terms of I don't know transparency or things going on with that application? Yeah, I think the the District Detroit project did have a lot of scrutiny around it because um, that was kind of like a District Detroit 2.0. Mm-hmm. We saw the 1.0, which was when when Little Caesars Arena opened up, and even though um, you know the Illich organization did you know, by the letter of the law they did you know accomplish what they had what they had to do you know legally. Um, but there was a perception that, uh, you know, some of the, the, the renderings that were unveiled, you know, years before LCA opened, that that is not what the public got. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think when they were doing the District Tutorial 2.0, there was some extra scrutiny because people, you know, that was pretty recent history. And say in this case, um, you know, you haven't had, you know, the, these three developers have not gone before council before seeking, you know, tax breaks. Um, so yeah, there has been some scrutiny, but not as not as intense as it was last year, um, considering the backstory of of that previous transformational brownfield. All right. Well, uh, JC, before we let you go, I do want to know what are the next steps. I mean, is city council going to vote today? What are you looking forward next in this process? Yeah, they, they could vote as early as today, um, or they, perhaps they could punt it a week. They did that with District Detroit, um, but if they do approve it, the next step is going to happen in Lansing, the Michigan Strategic Fund. Um, they have they have final say on the transformational brownfield. All right. Well, we'll have to keep an eye on it. I know you're keeping your eye on it also. J.C. Rindel, reporter with the Detroit Free Press. Thank you for joining us on the Metro. Thank you for having me. Coming up on the Metro, techno music is Detroit. We'll hear from the executive producer of a film highlighting the genre's roots and learn more about the film's use as a learning tool. You all stay right there. WDET is supported by the College of Business Administration at the University of Detroit Mercy. UDM is offering a new Master of Science degree in ethical leadership focused on sustainable, ethical, and inclusive problem solving. Admission is open to qualified applicants with a bachelor's degree in any field. Course selection is flexible with no prerequisites, four required courses, and six electives. Learn more at business.udmercy.edu. 
Welcome back to the Metro on 1019 WDET, helping you discover Detroit beyond the headlines and bringing you the voices and visions that are driving our city forward. I'm Nick Austin. And I am Tia Graham. And one of the things I love about being from the city of Detroit is dancing, shuffling. We have so many different cool uh, musical genres here that have started here. And the Detroit Techno Muse movie is making a return home this weekend. Washington Hill Pictures will screen their magnum opus, God Said Give Them Drum Machines, at the Michigan Science Center. It's this weekend, February 24th and February 25th. Jennifer Washington is the executive producer. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us on the Metro. Thank you, Tia. Graham, thank you for having me back. <laughs> happy Happy Black History Month. Happy Black History Month. And, you know, just it's perfect. It's fitting because we're talking about techno music being uh, created right here in Detroit, which is known to be a black city. So, you know, give us a little bit of a rundown. What have you been doing since the last time we spoke to you? Just a little bit, uh, just at the end of last year. Uh, what have you been doing with the film? We've been um, touring the film around the world, on the around the world. Still, yeah. uh, we're doing film festivals, music festivals, uh, university screenings, and now school screenings and museum screenings. Wow! And Jennifer, you know, when I hear this and I think about you know us just talking about it in the past, you know, it took you know a decade plus to get the film created and put together, and I think now you all are, are showcasing it and using it as a tool in schools. Did you ever see it being used as a teaching tool? I did. I When I stumbled upon, uh, upon this project, I was eager to figure out a way to use this film as a teaching tool. Mm. I wanted to penetrate the mainstream consciousness about Detroit's contribution to the development of techno music, which has now evolved into the multi-billion dollar industry of electronic dance music today. Exactly. exactly. And, you know, just a little bit of a background for those who may not know, what is the film about? Of course, it is God Said, Give Them Drum Machines. Just a little bit of a backstory there. So it's about the true black origins of techno music uh, in Detroit. And in this cut, we get to focus on the main plot points of uh, the story without going as deep. And this educational cut is now 56 minutes and it's perfect for students and families. That's exactly what we got. Perfect bridge and perfect segue. You have the screening coming up this weekend, two uh, showings at the Science Center. Uh, give us a little bit about that. Once again, you said it's a shorter cut for uh, educational reasons and purposes. What are some of the things that the kids or, or people in the audience are going to learn when they're watching this particular cut? I think, well, what I wanted to convey was, you know, what our people in Detroit are capable of. And we wanted to highlight and focus on these the contributions of Juan Atkins, Kevin Saunderson, Eddie Folks, Blake Baxter, Santonio Echoes, Derek May, and so many more um, for their contributions to um, not only music history, but black history and American history. And Jennifer, you know, I, I looked up a little bit. You all have been working with Wajid and the rest of the folks at the Underground Music Academy. Talk a little bit about bringing a guy said, give them drum machines as a resource to help connect the dots there with th those particular individuals. And just talk a little bit about just working with other people who are invested in the city of Detroit. Wow. You know, it really takes a village to bring um, a project like this um, to the to, to fruition and folks like Wajid, um, Underground Music Academy, Underground Resistance, and Submerge, Exhibit 3000, they have all been um, an integral part of the development of this project and big shout outs to them. 
Nice, nice. So the last thing and I, the Michigan, I'm yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Michigan Science Center. I mean, they've been such a supportive um, team. I have to thank um, Christian Greer and Lucy Hale and Javier Torres for all the work that they've um, done um, throughout these past two years um, in supporting the film. It's great that you said that because that was my last question to you is about the Michigan Science Center this weekend. Where can people find out a little bit more about uh, the showcase or showing and, and what they can learn a little bit more? They can go to um, michigansciencecenter.org uh, um, for to purchase tickets. Uh, in order to see the film, you do have to purchase um, admission to the uh, museum, and you just add on if you want to see the film as well. Jennifer Washington is the executive producer of God Said Give Them Drum Machines. As always, thank you so much for joining us on the Metro and joining us at WDET. Thank you so much, Tia. This is the Metro on 101.9 WDET, where I'm Nick Austin, hanging out with Tia Graham and you on your daily source for news, arts, and culture. The stuff driving Metro Detroit forward. Speaking of that, a screening of a newly restored James Baldwin documentary is taking place on Thursday at the Museum of Contemporary Arts in Detroit. The film, I Heard It Through the Grapevine, follows his time in the South during the Civil Rights Movement. The show begins at 6.30 p.m., and you can check that out again at the Museum of Contemporary Arts Detroit. The MoCAD, as we like to call it here. MoCAD, Mo Metro, Mo News. You know I'm going to stop you. I'm going to stop you before you get started. You can't stop me when I get on a roll. I know, I know. Go ahead, Tia. Yeah, we're getting into some uh, some cool things here on the Metro. This is the Metro, of course. And, you know, dogs and cats, they have a special place in our hearts as Americans. But what about farm animals? In the city of Detroit, we're not allowed to have these animals, animals like chickens, ducks, and honeybees, in your house. That's different for residents of the neighboring suburbs of Royal Oak, Ferndale, and Troy. This could change, though. Detroit City Council President Tim Tim James Taint has proposed a new animal keeping ordinance. To hear more about the ordinance and what it could do for Detroiters, we have Jenna Brooker here. She is a reporter for Bridge Detroit and has been writing about this issue. Jenna, welcome to the Metro. Thank you for having me. Awesome, awesome. So, Nick, you know, I'm thinking about chickens, I'm thinking about ducks, I'm thinking about all types of different things uh, growing up with them around, but not in Detroit. So, you know, how did this come about in the first place? So this was originally part of the urban ag ordinance that was passed in 2013. And Councilman James Tate was also the sponsor of that ordinance. And since then, you know, that the animal keeping part got cut. But since then, he's really been trying to bring this back and has been holding community conversations um, and has you know conducted a number of in-person meetings and online meetings about it. And what are some of the things that he's saying? He's been pushing for this for almost a decade now. So what are some of the things that he's been saying for a decade plus? Right. I think one of the main arguments for this is to accelerate food sovereignty. Mm-hmm. Residents of Detroit feel like it's a right that they, you know, should be able to grow their own food. And that's why we have the Urban Ag Ordinance and also keep their own animals. You know, we saw during the pandemic and in some cases now surges in prices for eggs and meat and in some ways keeping animals in the city would be a way to ameliorate that. And, you know, he held a meeting a week or two ago and shared that he's just been hearing from residents over the last 
more than decade that they want to be able to keep animals in the city. Which would be really, really cool. Now, you know, right now, who's in favor of this particular ordinance and why? I think a lot of urban farmers and younger Detroiters are in favor of this ordinance, again, to empower themselves to feed themselves and teach the next generation about, you know, where we get our food from and, yeah, how to feed ourselves. And then on the other hand, we have some older Detroiters who feel like they moved to the city to live in a city and they don't want to live next to animals. (laughs) And so they're against it. And there are some fears about um, any diseases that the animals could pass to humans um, and concerns that the current limitations on uh, prohibition of keeping animals in the city isn't being enforced Mm -hmm. right now. So why would this new uh, ordinance be enforced? Yeah, exactly. And right now we're talking with Jenna Brooker, reporter for Bridge Detroit, who's been following this story, this developing story. So when will this be voted on and how can residents be more involved in this particular decision? So the next step is that the City Planning Commission is going to hold a public hearing on Thursday evening at the City County building at 6.15 p.m. And so The City Planning Commission, after that hearing, will make a recommendation to City Council, and City Council needs to vote on it. So I think that if this ordinance were to pass, that is months down the line. Mm -hmm. Um, And now is really a good opportunity for people to give input if they want their voices to be heard on this. All right. And my last question to you, Jenna, is like, what are your personal thoughts? I personally want chickens (laughs) and ducks and honeybees all throughout the city of Detroit. But I know, like you said, some people move to the city to be in a city. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I personally wouldn't keep animals for one I don't have a backyard oh yeah two um you know people have brought up there you know it takes a lot of time to take care of animals and there can be a financial barrier to get started does anything in this ordinance say that you would need a backyard to keep animals um well I can't keep them in my apartment (laughs) I don't know I think some people would try (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's what I'm saying well it does mandate that the any structures for the animals have to be kept 30 feet from your neighbors so you need to have some amount of space to keep the animals um but i do think you know it's exciting um to to any move to advance food sovereignty in the city of detroit is very exciting exactly exactly jenna thank you so much for joining the metro jenna brooker is a reporter for bridge detroit has been following this the ordinance to bring livestock to the city of detroit and we will continue to follow it with jenna thank you so much for being here with us on the metro thank you This is the Metro on 101.9 WDET, connecting Detroiters through stories and conversations, again, about the news, art, culture that's affecting the city, our region, all of us here in Southeast Michigan, also connecting you with some things to do in and around the area. Like, for example, in Elizabeth Park in Trenton, it's hosting a snow moon night hike on Friday at 7 p.m., On the mile-and-a-half hike lit by the full moon, participants will learn about the Detroit River and Elizabeth Park. Special red flashlights and lanterns will be provided to make sure you're not disturbing nature and night vision. Again, going on at Friday at 7 p.m., but we have lots of things that are going on in our hood, our area right here. Right, Tia? (laughs) That is right, Nick. Right in the hood. In the hood. (laughs) In the hood. Later today, a panel discussion is happening featuring multiple Wayne State Departments. Detroit history is black history. It's happening from 
5 p.m. until 7 p.m. at the Industry Innovation Center. And Bridge Detroit Engagement Director and host of the Authentically Detroit podcast, Orlando Bailey, will lead that conversation. And he's also here on the Metro right now. Thank you so much for being here. I love your jacket, by the way. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Hi to you. Hi, Hello. Nick. Good hey, to see you guys. Orlando. Good seeing you. Yeah. So what will this discussion cover? Well, you know, I think it's going to center uh, really black Detroiters um, in the city, right? And the constant quest for justice and the advancement of justice and centering that Detroit history is black history. And so I don't think you can talk about justice oriented movements and leave Detroit out of that equation. When we talk about movements, I like to say that Detroit is one of the originators. It is the mother of movement. I mean, Temple One, uh, the Nation of Islam is here, the Shrine of the Black Madonna, where there has always been oppression and marginalization. Black Detroiters have and will continue to fight back and advance justice. And I love that because the conversation we just had just before and a little bit before uh, was about uh, techno and techno music and it being created right here by black Detroiters. And I think about the importance of continuing to highlight those type of stories and those type of like incidents because we know what electronic music is. We got to claim it. We have to. We have to claim it. And, you know, so many people, you know, there's conversations around, you know, like, oh, I'm sick of having like the panels and the conversations. And I get it because we do want Mm -hmm. to spur action and there is always a place for action. But I think there's always a place for conversation because conversation is the impetus, I believe, for change and humanity and connection. Right. And conversation also goes toward us being able to build out a narrative that reverberates not just in the city. Right. But around the world. I've traveled this world and the world is watching Detroit. Mm -hmm. What we do, what we say, what we wear, how we show up. I know it's so it's just great being from Detroit. So, you know, when we talk about the panel discussion tonight, you hit on it just a little bit when we I hear it all the time. Why do we keep having panel discussions or why do we keep just talking things to death? Why aren't we doing more? What are ways that we can actually take these panel discussions and these conversations and put them into action? Well, one of I think. Conversation is action, oh, right? <laughs> I please, do. please. Well, narrative is a tenet of power in the United States. And those who hold the, the the reins on what we are able to take in, right, influences our subconscious and it influences how we proliferate into the world. And so if we can counter normative narrative that is antithetical to black progress and the telling of black history, we know that books are being banned, everything is trying to be retold, then that is action, right? That is mm-hmm. that is power in action. But also, uh, you know, conversation is nothing without demonstration and performance. And so we have to we have to hit the streets, we gotta do the work, right? And we have to stand on the stage and proliferate our own narrative. So all all of it. All of it. We can't forsake one of it. We need all of it. I love that so very much. And, you know, this is a personal question to you. Sure. What's one of your favorite Detroit historical moments? Oh, man. One of my favorite Detroit historical moments. I would have to say there's this Howard educated black doctor who moved on the east side on Garland in the 1920s. His name was Dr. Ocean Sweet. Right. Mm -hmm. And the white folks who were living over there didn't want him over there. And so they tried to mob his house and, you know, they fired back. They fired back. And Clarence Darrow uh, represented them from the NAACP. And he was acquitted. He was acquitted uh, for shooting back at a white mob and harming. I think he, they killed two people within that mob who tried to displace them and harm them. And so that's one of my favorite 
black history moments here in the city and i love that it happened right there on the east side because you know that's where i'm from that's where i love to be yes (laughs) yes and my last question before i let you go of course we have the panel discussion happening tonight from 5 to 7 p.m at the industry innovation center that's on wayne state's campus my last question is what history would you like to see yourself a part of especially as we see the think about the future of detroit where would you like to and not necessarily want to work to be this port but you know what would you like to see yourself as in the city of detroit you know i would like to i would like in the i guess in the detroit discourse and lexicon i would like for folks to be able to say that orlando achieved its mission of providing platforms for black and brown folks to express their power and expertise period period Orlando Bailey is Bridge Detroit's engagement director and the host of the Authentically Detroit podcast. Thank you so much for joining us on the Metro. It's an honor. Thank you. This is the Metro on 1019 WDET. I'm Nick Austin, joined by Tia Graham. And coming up, we'll listen to an interview about what President Joe Biden can do to win back voters he's losing in Southeast Michigan. the metro on 1019 WDETFM. I am Tia Graham and I am here with Nick Austin. A quick weather check. Today is sunny with a high near 46 degrees. Right now we see 40 degrees. By some measure, Tia, President Joe Biden has had a very good presidency. Many will tell you he helped tame COVID and has us run a solid economy with low unemployment and shrinking inequality. But His reluctance to call for a ceasefire in Michigan has made him increasingly unpopular to some Michigan voters, so much so that some Democratic leaders in Michigan are now calling for people to vote uncommitted in the upcoming Democratic presidential primary election. Is there anything President Biden can do to turn things around? Ronald Stockton is a political science professor emeritus at the University of Michigan Dearborn. He spoke with WDET's Nargis Rahman about what Biden needs to do to win over more voters. It's not unusual that people get turned off by their party's choice because everybody's got a preferred candidate that they would rather have. So they'll say, well, I I can't stand this person. But in the end, they end up voting for that person because they realize that it's binary. You either get our guy that you consider imperfect or you get the other person who is really imperfect. I always told my students that your choice is not between good and bad. It's between bad and God awful. And you vote for bad to avoid a catastrophe. I think this may be different. This Gaza war has done things that I had never expected. It's had a global impact. This regional war has had a global impact. And the Palestinians have somehow become symbols of of injustice and mass murder. Plus, you've got a complication in the Detroit area that you have people 
of Arab and Islamic heritage who may actually be identifying with these people. I, uh, some of my former students have told me of their family members being killed, and those people are never going to go with Biden because he's embraced uh, Netanyahu. This may be very serious. I also think that, that we're overlooking something, living as we do in the Detroit area. That is, this is not just something that's happening among Arabs. It's a generational pattern. Those people who are younger than 30, only a third of them support Biden's policies. But of those in an older age range, it's two-thirds. This is a generational gap that we have not seen before in public opinion studies. So if you're a Democrat, I think it's very dangerous. And I've Biden could well lose Michigan. What are other campaign strategies that are taking place right now for the presidential primaries? And how does the, the abandoned Biden campaign fall into the, that scope of things? I think a large number of people are just feeling that Biden is not doing a good job. He's making the case, and I think he's making a good case, that he's had a remarkable presidency. He's achieved an amazing amount in just you know three, three and a half years. I mean, the economy is booming. COVID has largely been defeated. A lot of good things are happening. This Gaza war has torn everything apart and has made him look bad. And what kind of thing do you think President Biden would need to do, stay afloat in terms of the next presidential election? In terms of young people, I don't know. In terms of young Arab Americans, I think he would have to change his policies on this war, call for a ceasefire openly, put pressure on Netanyahu. I think he's made a miscalculation. The way to pressure Netanyahu is to pressure him politically. There are a lot of uh, Israelis who are extremely pro-American. And if they saw that Netanyahu was costing them American support and American friendship, he would turn. So if he made a statement, for example, that we're not going to be able to do anything until Netanyahu is out of the picture. Every Israeli cabinet minister carries a knife to stab the prime minister, politically speaking. And that's just the way Israeli politics operate. I think there are ways that Biden is not thinking in terms of what power he really has over the Israeli political system. So he would have to do something of that type to call for a ceasefire start limiting arms shipments, uh, start cutting off aid. I don't know exactly what he could do, but it would have to be pressure of a political nature that everybody could see that he's withdrawing uh, his, his support. Can you explain what it means for people to vote uncommitted? There are some states that have an option. You can vote none of the above. We don't have that in Michigan. So what you, you would have to either stay home or you would have to write in something, which is, as you mentioned, people are talking about writing in a ceasefire. Or if you think back to 2016, when Trump carried the state of Michigan, which really surprised me, I just didn't think that would happen. And there it did. And then we looked at polls to find the election results to see exactly what happened. What happened was a large number of people stayed home. And especially in the black community, people just didn't get very excited. You don't have to be a genius to know that if you go from Obama at the top to someone else at the top, to Hillary at the top, there's a lot of black people who are just not interested. So I think what may happen is that a large number of people will just stay home. Uh, that would be as bad as voting in the other direction. 
we, we think of big shifts, but it only takes two or 3% of a shift to produce a different outcome. People are saying, I'm not going to vote Democratic. I'm not going to vote Republican, but I do still want to show up at the polls. Do you feel like there is a viable third option for people? We have a, what's called single member plurality. We don't vote majority. Majority means you have to get half. Plurality means you get more than anyone else. What that means is that if you've got five people running, someone could get elected with 21% of the vote. What happens if you try to run a third party is that they will always come in third. So I think these third party options, they, they don't really have any future. You'd have to change the electoral system for, for them to be successful. And what do you think will happen from here on out? Is there any any kind of trends that you are seeing? You know, there are a couple of things I've been watching. One is that that while Trump has remarkable, enthusiastic supporters, he also has a large number of Republicans who are really having doubts about him. In the end, they probably would vote for him rather than for a Democrat. But if they stayed home, that would have the same impact. I think it's a race to election day whether some of these uh, these uh, cases are going to be heard before uh, before November. But what's happening is a large a large number of moderate people, especially women, are pulling back from the Republican Party because they see it as unfriendly. If you lose suburban white women, you just have got a a big problem in terms of winning anything at a national level. That was political science professor emeritus Ronald Stockton. He spoke to WDET's Nargis Rahman about our upcoming presidential election. You're listening to The Metro, your daily source for news, arts, and culture right here in Metro Detroit. I'm Nick Austin, joined by Tia Graham. You're listening to The Metro, taking a quick look at the weather forecast for you today. Sunny skies with a high around 46 degrees. Tomorrow, Wednesday, will be partly sunny with a high around 54. Thursday, there's a chance of rain and it's going to be a high near 51 degrees. It shouldn't be that way in February, but here we are. Nick Austin, we have... More things happening in the state of Michigan. Yeah, there's always something happening in the state of Michigan. It's kind of how this life thing works. It just keeps happening. Yeah, but not just in (laughs) Michigan, also nationally and internationally. And right now, lawmakers in Washington are working to pass a foreign aid bill that would boost funding for Israel, Ukraine, and Taiwan. NPR's A. Martinez spoke with Republican Rep. Mike Lawler of New York about a new bill that would give $66 billion to the three aforementioned countries. The objective is to advance legislation uh, that will not only defend our borders here in the United States, but defend democracies around the globe, uh, including our allies in Israel and Ukraine and Taiwan. Uh, there is no question uh, that Russia... China and Iran have engaged in an unholy alliance that has sought to undermine and destabilize the free world. Uh, And we, as the leader of the free world, have an obligation uh, to defend democracy around the globe. Are you trying, though, um, to fashion this bill in a way where he'll get it to the floor for a vote? Uh, That's the objective. Uh, You know, I mean, ultimately, obviously, there's a lot of opinions in Congress. 
and you know we're trying to find some compromise uh, legislation that can advance through the House and and the Senate and get signed into law. We need to provide lethal aid uh, and support uh, to uh, Ukraine and to Israel as quickly as possible. Uh, and the objective here is to advance legislation uh, that does have consensus uh, and that is a compromise of sorts. In addition, you know, the border crisis in our country is real. Uh, since Joe Biden took office, nearly 10 million migrants have crossed our southern border, most of them illegally. 90% of them have been released into the country. Uh, it's not working. And we need to enact legislation uh, that can help uh, stem this tide, this massive influx that we've seen. Congressman, where is the compromise on the Republican end for this bill specifically? Well, look, obviously advancing uh, legislation that would get the aid to Ukraine uh, quickly uh, is in part a compromise. Uh, we we have obviously had a lot of questions that many of my colleagues have raised with the administration. Uh, some of these questions have yet to be answered uh, specifically as to, uh, you know, the the ultimate plan in Ukraine and, and how we end this conflict. Uh, but, you know, the objective here is to find consensus on a way forward that deals with uh, lethal aid for Ukraine. Uh, Israel obviously has broad bipartisan support in Congress. Uh, the House has already acted on a number of these issues, uh, which is often lost in the conversation. The House has acted on aid to Israel. The House has acted on securing our border. Uh, and so we're trying to find a way forward. Uh, and eight of us, Republicans and Democrats, working together, have come up with uh, this plan to try and advance uh, the ball and and get right. consensus. Your bill has 47 mil billion earmarked for Ukraine. The Senate bill that didn't make it had 60 million. Um, you do have support, though, uh, from Senator Lindsey Graham. He's a Republican who opposed the Senate's uh, aid plan. But do you think that your bill would make it through a chamber that's controlled by Democrats? Well, again, this is where in a divided government, it, we all have to find compromise. Uh, you know, the conversation of late has been, well, whatever the Senate passes, the House has to accept. And that's just not the way this works. Uh, all of us have to find compromise here. And so what we are trying to do is uh, really kickstart the conversation again uh, through the House and and work with our colleagues in the Senate uh, to find a path forward. And so this this bill, while costing less than the Senate version, uh, also it does something to address some of the challenges at the border. And so I think it's critically important that uh, both sides within the Senate and the House, Republicans and Democrats, uh, stop playing politics with this and focus on the path forward so that we can actually support our allies around the globe uh, and continue to be the leader of the free world. In light of what happened uh, with Alexei Navalny, uh, and his his murder at the hands of Vladimir Putin, uh, that should crystallize for everyone the importance of getting this done. That was NPR's A. Martinez speaking with Republican Rep. Mike Lawler. This is The Metro on 1019 WDET, where I'm Nick Austin, joined by Tia Graham. And coming up, we'll hear from Mike LaTulip about his new WDET show, The Detroit Move. 
This is the Metro on 1019 WDET, the new show connecting Metro Detroiters through stories and conversations about the news, arts, and culture affecting the city and our region. A lot of new music on our horizon as well. New music shows. We're going to tell you about one that's going to be coming up at 8 p.m. tonight. But first, as I'm Nick Austin, I'm joined by Tia Graham. Yes, as always. And, you know, we have a few things coming up. A lot of kids are out of school this week. So parents, guardians, those who look after young people, you can roll into Rollercade for Family Skate this week. The historic roller rink has called Southwest Detroit home since 1955. All ages are open uh, to the skate on Thursday from 6 to 10 p.m. And if you're new to skating, Rollercade offers lessons on Saturday from noon to 2, followed by Family Skate from 2.30 to 5 p.m. So have some fun this weekend with your family uh, after you uh, have been uh, chilling with the kids all week long. That's right. You can chill with the kids all week long maybe you need to wind down with some music and one of the new shows that we have as i mentioned a little bit it's the detroit move hosted by mike latula brand new show it's uh, airs tuesday nights at 8 p.m wdet's john Mosier sat down with mike to learn about his new show and to welcome him to our studio you first started sharing the concept of the show, I was blown away. I And I knew that this was going to be a really, really great radio in Detroit. I was super excited and, and uh, uh, more than enthusiastic about championing the idea of getting that show which, on DET. Which I really seriously thought you were pulling my leg. Like that, you know, <laughs> wait, you're, you're telling me my dream may come true to actually have a show on WDET, a station I've listened to forever. Um, but it really did happen it's because happening. It, 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 you told me, yeah, I, I, I gave it to my friend Adam and he really likes it. And then the next thing I know, you're calling me telling, Hey, Adam just became the new program director at WDET <laughs> and he, he really loves your show and he's championing to championing the station to become this once again, this world-class yeah. music programming station. And he, next thing I know, he, he invited me to, to have a show on WDET, which I'm forever grateful um, for, and uh, I, I, it, it's still soaking in. I just I can't yeah. believe it. I was I was talking to Shigeto, and we're we're both just like we're so excited yet nervous yet it's 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 all feels like it's just soaking in. We're so I like excited. It. I like he's standing so, with his arms up on yeah. the other side of the room. Yeah, you know, uh, it's funny because uh, you know you guys and the excitement that you're bringing to the radio station is infectious. I think um, everybody tuning in feels it. I know I feel it, and uh, it's bringing a lot of great excitement here. So tell us a little bit. You brought some samples, and I want to get to those. Tell us a little bit about the content and the approach of the Detroit move. Well, like I said, um, on all these uh, uh, music discoveries that I was making back uh, a few years ago, um, just going down these uh, these deep rabbit holes, um, I like I said, I, I just just generated this this huge... Uh, playlists of, of music mm. and so the show that I put together was very very eclectic very diverse um, I was just very excited about all these connections I was making between things like uh, you know 50s R&B and how it transitioned into 60s soul mm. and how 60s soul inspired garage and how you know soul inspired you know uh, the British invasion movement and uh, and and just hearing all these connections and 
uh, also adding you know some of the some of the music that I was already familiar with, whether it be you know 70s punk, post punk, uh, music from that you know very very rich late 90s Detroit garage rock scene, if well, you will, which, which you were a very important part. That was John Mosier talking with Mike Latulip, the new host of the Detroit Move, which airs Tuesday nights from 8 to 9 p.m. right here on 1019 WDET. As this is the Metro, bringing you news, arts, and culture, we take care of your music on the station, too. Very interesting and very happy that you're here with us. I'm Nick Austin, joined by Tia Graham. here on the metro with you all we do have to talk to ryan patrick cooper i, I said have to we don't I have know to. what is going on i didn't mean on. to say have to as soon as it yeah as soon as it happened i said oh no this but, low stakes beef between in the groove uh, the greatest music show of all time you never bring bagels for me so I, you know and the metro well i'm body by bagel <laughs> all the bagels go inside of me to create fuel to put together an incredible mix of great music that's coming up on in the groove uh the main thing i have to say Vampire Weekend is back. They've been around, been away for five years. I have tickets to go see them before the tickets are even on sale. So you're going to want to listen to In the Groove. We're going to play some Vampire Weekend. We're going to play a lot of great music. In the Groove weekdays, 12 to 3. Coming up in just a few minutes here on WDET. All right. That's right. Wait. And you can check out, of course, In the Groove at noon every day, noon to 3 here on 1019 WDET. That's going to do it for the Metro, February 20th, 2024. You can listen to recent episodes online at WDET.org and make sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform. The show is produced by Sam Corey and David Lyons, music by Sam Bobian, as well as also produced by Jack Phil. Our news director is Jerome Vaughn, and executive producer is Adam Fox. Thanks for uh, thanks for reporting from Nargis Rahman and John Mosier. The Metro is a WDET production, a listener-supported service of Wayne State University. If you like what you hear and want to support the Metro, consider becoming a member at WDET.org/donate. Have a good one, you all. Thanks for listening, Nick. You have a great Tuesday. It's WDET FM, Detroit Public Radio. WDET is supported by the College of Business Administration at University of Detroit Mercy. UDM is offering a new master's degree in ethical leadership focused on sustainable, ethical, and inclusive problem solving. More information at business.udmercy.edu.